On this Byron Lazine podcast, I get to sit down again with David Childers. How lucky am I, but how lucky are we? He breaks down the current state of the housing market. Is there really a housing recession going on right now? And what you can do to better educate your community on what they need to know about this changing market. Enjoy the pod. So I'm really curious what your definition is. If you think there is a definition, I'm talking about the definition of a housing recession. We we're chatting okay. a little bit right before we started sure. going on this. Yeah. And NAR has kind of a loose definition. Okay. It's six months of declining home sales. Okay. So not prices. And Lawrence Young's gone out and said, we're clearly in mm-hmm. a housing recession because of those declining sales. We're going to sure. see about, I guess, six million, or we saw about six million last year. We're going to see about 4.8 million this existing year, home sales, and, and right. that's the projection mm-hmm. for, for existing home sales for the right. end of the year, right? Mm-hmm. But for sellers, that's not, or homeowners rather, that's not the case. If you own a home, you're not feeling a, right. a housing recession. So how does right. KCM, how does David Childers define housing recession? So let's go back and let's talk about just recession just for a minute. And then let's talk about housing recession. So that's the talk in the country right now is, are we in a recession? And people are saying, well, we are, or we already uh, have been in. There's this definition widely held of two consecutive quarters of negative GDP. Well, technically, if you look at that, and then there's also the other definition by the National Bureau of Economic Research, which technically calls a recession in this country of widespread decline. So the first point I would make there is a recession is an economic term in this country, there's not technically a term for a housing recession, first one. And the truth is, if you go back all the way um, to the 40s, a recession in this country has been two consecutive quarters of negative GDP. That is true, and it is also true that it's called by the National Bureau of Economic Research. But I always say, you know, I thought we couldn't, we can argue about anything in this country. Matter of fact, it's even if we're in a recession. So let's take that to housing. Recession is a term that is used for a slowdown. So depending on if you want to use NARS or you want to use somebody else's that comes out and says, we are in a housing recession, my question would be, what do you mean by that? And that's really where the the essence of the conversation should go versus what does a housing recession mean? And oh my gosh, what does that now you know imply for me? You mentioned it before, as a homeowner. Because I would argue, and we've talked about this extensively at KCM, The word recession in 2008 took on a new meaning. And it it took on more than just an economic slowdown. It took on, you know, devastation for a lot of people. And we have to keep that in mind. So you can apply it to whatever business you want to. We obviously are talking about real estate. But when you hear that, people have this connotation of like, oh my gosh, what's going to happen? Well, in 2008, you didn't really hear real, you just heard recession. Totally, yeah, yeah. Like it wasn't about housing recession. Right now, it was like, you know, a couple months, they're arguing whether we're in a recession economically right. in the country. And there's, there's all kinds of new definitions, new ways to look at it. Great. But I never have ever heard this like scenario where it's like housing has its own particular recession. I, I've, I haven't heard that either, except for this last, you know, you know, go around the last few months. And I think it's a term that people want to apply to that to say there's a massive shift in real estate and we're seeing uh, things happen. And I want to apply the recessionary term to it, which is a slowdown. So if you want to say the, the question, I think that really comes up, Byron, this comes up in a lot of places is 
what I would ask by that, let's, let's say we're having a conversation with somebody and they say, I heard housing was in a recession. The question you want to ask there is, what do you mean by that? Because people apply these terms and things, and, and somebody may mean one thing, somebody may mean another thing, but there's technically not a definition for a housing recession. 4.8 million existing home sales mm -hmm. this year. If you look back on prior years, taking the last two years out of it, taking yeah, 2020, yeah. 2021 out of it, yeah. would 4.8 million sales for existing homes be a super low number? No, is, is no, that no, like no. Unnormal? No, I, I, if you look at that, you look at pre, what you're talking about is pre-pandemic. Yeah. So, what, what we've looked at is okay, 20 and 21 years, 20 and 21 were anomaly years in this country due to uh, a couple of things that are becoming very, very apparent: the liquidity and balance sheet of the homeowner and low rates. Both of those things played into the frenzy of 2020 and 2021. But if you kind of take that off to the side and take the anomaly of that market, we're heading into somewhere of, of very tolerable ranges for the years prior. Think about 17, 18, and 19. Now, here's the interesting thing. Each one of those years was the best year in real estate since the crash of 2008. Very, very good years that we would take over again. But in our minds, we compare that to 20 or 2021, you know, and, and say, gosh, it feels like somebody just hit the brakes and, you know. Nobody's it, buying homes. Totally. Which, yeah. yeah. And there's and there's certainly an adjustment. We need to acknowledge that. But if you saw, uh, I presented this morning, we talked about inventory. Great example. Yes, we're up over last year, we're below the prior two years, which is very, very interesting. And to me, when you look at 4.8 million existing home sales, and, and there could be a really big like push in the fall that sure. pushes that number up potentially because the summer, I don't know, I just feel like it's the most traveled summer of all time. I feel like people have other things on their mind. So there, there could be, maybe it gets to five, I, I guess, Maybe you would tell me, no, that's crazy, Byron. Well, it's, it's going to be under five we can, we can bet on, on, on yeah, the podcast that's, today. That's speculating. Yeah, speculating. Here's what I would say. Okay, let me give you a good example. Um, what happened uh, in 2020? We started out the year high. Mm. Pandemic hits. We go low, yeah. and we go back up again by the end of the year. So if you were to ask me to speculate on that, we started the year high in, in forecast of existing home sales. We're low right now. We will come up off of that. I will make that declaration. Yeah, so you feel good maybe it'll be above 4.8, maybe. I, I think so. Yeah, yeah. yeah. I, th I think that's a safe bet based on what's happening right now. So so we've seen the shift in interest rates. Everybody kind of going, I'm going to put my hands in my pocket and see what happens as we see, you, you know, that could become, okay, this is a little bit more normal. We're in the low fives. If we were to break below four, we get this information where, you know, inflation's behind us. We get some good news economically, whatever that may mean, then yes, I think you'll see more than that. So have we ever seen almost 5 million existing home sales when we've seen inventory this low throughout a year? You know, I'd have to go back and look. I don't know the exact answer to that to, to give you a definitive answer, but I think no doubt we're in a low inventory scenario, and and I think that is going to uh, you know play out based on we can't sell what we don't have, right? Yeah. We we can't we can't bring those homes to market. We can't sell uh, things that aren't out there. So we need more homes. You've talked about that. You've been very vocal about that in builders building. Um, but, but I think that is the, the issue. Because when you take all things into consideration, interest rates hovering at or above 5% for an extended period mm -hmm. of time, the fact that, okay, we might get to 5 million existing homes sold, and there's many markets that are still under two months of inventory, and it's been sure. prolonged right. gaps of having no inventory. It seems like, wow, there's still really high demand 
for single family homes in this country. And I just, I can't put housing recession on, when I look at all things considered, yeah. label on that particular market. I, I think I think you're right. You're looking at the fundamentals and you're saying, hey, there still is demand for homes out there. That's, that's the bottom line. The biggest issue right now bearing down on the consumer is affordability. That is the biggest challenge yeah, I would agree. across the country. Now, there, there are a couple of things about that, that that we can break down in affordability, but that is the issue. It will not be the issue forever, but it is the issue right now. You don't think it'll be the issue forever? I don't. I, I, I don't. Because let me break that down why, yeah, why I believe that. Well, Glenda was on the, on the pod, and she says, when your daughters in 16 years graduate high school yeah, or whatever, yeah, yeah. Yeah. They'll never be able to afford a house, I, but like I, meaning the affordability yeah. is just going to continue year well, after year to get worse and worse. Let's talk about what's what affordability is based on, and, and I always like to break this down to, to distinguish between affordable housing and housing affordability. Two different things. Affordable housing typically refers to homes on the lower end of the market, which we need more of, and we know that in every yeah. market out there, we need that. Affordability refers to what the dollar will buy in housing. So it's based okay. upon three things. This is a great breakdown, right? Two different things. I like yeah, this. Yeah, okay. it's, it's based upon three different things. Prices, wages, and interest rates. That's what affordability is based upon. So, okay, how do you develop a relevant market opinion based upon fact on affordability? Well, what do you believe about those three things? What do you believe about prices? Very, very clearly, what experts are saying in forecasting is we're gonna we're gonna head into a flatter market relative to appreciation. I don't think we should expect skyrocketing appreciation like we've seen for the last couple of years, right? That's what I believe. All right, bring your belief to that. Second, what about interest rates? Well, here's the truth, I believe. We will get through inflation. It's a matter of time, right? It's just a matter of saying, when, when are we through that? And then we'll see a little bit of relief on interest rates. We're not going back to the twos. I'm not saying that, or, or the threes, that sure. I believe, but in the fours. And what do you believe about wages? We live in a world right now where wages are rising. Yeah. That's the truth. The anomaly of this economic slowdown, this recession, if you want to call it, is employment. That's the truth. Employers are hiring. Businesses need folks. Which right? is why some people say we're not in a recession. Totally. And there's a, and there's a logical argument to be yeah. made for that. So if you take where we're at in affordability right now, you apply those three factors, you can give great advice based on that. Mm -hmm. And that's why I say we will not be there forever. That's the... That's the and, and there's there's a difference. I have an optimistic view of affordability. I will own that all day long. I don't have blind positivity of that. It's based upon my belief in those three factors. And that is different than what we're talking about an abundance of affordable housing because Correct. and we could get into institutional buyers buying up a lot of these single family homes sure. and what what type of impact that has done for just the homeowner who's going to buy one house for their family at $250,000, that, that's become harder because of that. That's sure. a separate issue. And, and, and listen, I, I, you mentioned Glenda's comment. I, I have a son that's in college right now, and I've had this conversation with him. I worry about them buying what's home your, just in general. Yeah, someone with all the real estate data, yeah. what's the advice that you would give Buy to your son? Buy as soon as possible as you can. Buy a home as soon as you can. Right when you get out of college. If you know where you're going to be, absolutely. Yeah. If you can afford it, you can get in there, buy it. Do you have a year, like a five-year, seven-year, ten-year, like you're going to be there for the foreseeable future or buy it anyway? Well, I, I mean, I think if you're going to go to a town and be there for a year, that's a personal decision whether you make that or not. But as soon as you know where you're going to be, my coaching to my kids is buy a home. Yeah. Absolutely do it. Do it as soon as you can. And then on the micro level, say they're buying in a small city or a big city or whatever, 
Are you pushing them to buy the house that's maybe the cheaper home in the highest price neighborhood? Like, you know, are you really focusing on the micro location when they buy? Or just buy. I think there's a couple of ways you can look at this. One way is go out there and buy what you could buy, right, and try to do it to it, uh, get as far ahead as you can in that. Or buy something that you know you're not going to be in and keep that, mm-hmm. right, and, and turn that into a rental property and, and use that strategy. That's the one thing that I think most people that I talk to, even in our business, say, you know what, the homes that I've sold and, and the homes that I owned, I wish I, would, I still had them. Wish I didn't sell them. Now, yeah. a lot of us, you know, we, we couldn't have bought the next home or done what we'd done without doing that. Um, but that would be absolutely my advice. And then, and then what's your advice for an agent to articulate that? Because a lot of times on social, you see agents saying, you got to buy real estate. Just, you know, they'll, they'll use it. buy well, and hold as opposed to breaking it down on exactly. So they don't come off sounding like buy a house so it benefits me. Yeah. yeah. How do they explain buy a house so it benefits you? Well, I think that's a great question. You brought something up that I see a lot of agents talking about, and that's institutional buyers. Um, And you can get the data on that, um, and we've presented that at at KCM many, many times. It's not, I'll tell you, it's not as big as people think, but there are institutional buyers in the market. They are growing. Investors are growing. Here would be my message. Why is that? because they know housing is a great investment. So you're either gonna bring that message of like, we can't get anything because institutional buyers are buying it, or you're gonna bring the message that the reason that's happening is they know housing's a great investment, which should bolster our position, right? You know, if you look at the average wealth of a homeowner versus a renter, it's how the majority of people in this country build wealth in their lives. It's through home ownership. That, that is a fact. I don't care who comes out and says you shouldn't buy a home and that comes out, you know, whoever, you know, maybe some pundit or something says that, but the majority of Americans build wealth through home ownership. And foreign. Right? Yeah, absolutely. And I was right. talking to foreign Christoph, buyers. Foreign yeah. buyers. I was yeah. talking to Christoph and he's like, I'm working with, you know, in just the last couple of months, it's opened up again for him in Beverly Hills. And this is a market, you know, in, in California where a lot of people in our country, in America, are down on those mark. Maybe not particularly yeah, Beverly yeah. Hills, but yeah, yeah. California as a whole of like, right. oh, nobody's investing there. Not the case. He's seeing China, Japan, all of these foreign buyers coming back right. to him where there was a two-year gap. Right. And where do they want to put their money yeah, for long-term they, growth? They, they it's see, it's in American the, real estate. They see the safety and the appreciation of that investment. Yeah. That's, those are the two things they're looking for. And so that's a big indicator mm-hmm. if, you know, we know there's tons of inventory in China yeah, and they're yeah. not buying that inventory. Right. They, you know, they still want to come here and for everybody that's like, well, America's about to lose their position on, on the world stage. But right. if, if residents of other countries believe in our real estate so much that they're putting it ahead of purchasing real estate in their own country, shouldn't that, that be should a tell signal? you something? Shouldn't right. that be a story right. that, that you're sharing? Absolutely. You know, American investments in, in a lot of cases, the, the U.S. bond market's widely considered the safest investment in the world, and that's what that. I think there's an element of that when you look at um, uh, what we have in this country, the political stability comparatively to other places in the country. People want that. They, they want that. What are agents doing wrong from a standpoint of articulating this information in their local communities? And we, and mm-hmm. we know what we just mentioned some of the things that are going wrong on Instagram or something somewhere yeah. like that, but particularly to speak to their community that they live in right. and share this level of education as opposed to a just sold come to the open right. house. Right. Well, I think what, what we just talked about, I, I would share 
the you know the benefit of home ownership. You know, we've talked a lot over the last couple of years about the economic benefits of home ownership, mm-hmm. but there's so many studies that that represent the non-financial benefits of home ownership. So, so I think really coming out there and talking about why people own a home and, and why it makes sense, we can we can articulate the economic benefits and the wealth building benefits, but really hunkering down on why do people choose to buy a home? You know, why, why do people um, uh, choose to move to a, another neighborhood? Why do they choose to, to move into something when they're going to have a, a baby? You know, all the reasons that people do that. The, the one thing, too, that I'll say, um, you know, we've been here for the last couple of days at, at Tom's event, the idea of case studies, too. That really hit me of how am I doing a good job yeah. articulating what's happening in you know real world kind of approaches with clients that I'm serving. Well, the case study around having kids because I'm yeah. I'm going through that stage of life right now where I have an almost two year old and an almost six year old, and we're living you know our primary house is one level, yeah. and we just spent the summer in Connecticut house and that's two levels, yeah, yeah. right? And my wife and I are like, we need for the Florida house, we we just have to have two levels yeah, right yeah. now because yeah. we you know on when <laughs> you're when you have a two level home. It's like yeah. I can hide a lot easier <laughs> if I've got to think for an hour. Listen, my recommendation with older kids, we've got a 20-year-old, an 18-year-old, and a 15-year-old, is have a basement. Or a ba- shut the door. <laughs> well, no basements in Florida. But yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah Connecticut, we have basements. But yeah, I need more space right now. So we're making the decision to buy new construction, actually. Okay. So it's new construction, which means it's definitely unaffordable. Mm-hmm. And you know, there's certain people that say, well, that's really risky, but it's our 20 year house. And that to your point is this case study right there of we're know we're going to be in this location, right? It's close to the school, right? right? It's right. close to where we need to be to live life. And it's that 20 year house that we're really going to be living yeah. in. And it gives us that lifestyle to be able to do some work from home, have family, have the mother-in-law, have a guest. Everybody wants to visit Florida at the most inconvenient time, yeah, yeah, right? Yeah. The winter. Yeah, so. no, I hear you. I, I think the I think you're onto something there. The, the one thing I think that supports that too, Byron, is the balance sheet of the homeowner in this country is very, very strong right now. We see equity levels higher than they've ever been. And, and I believe this, I believe this too, you know, you look at interest rates right now, and we're in a volatile market, no doubt, hovering in the fives, we break through psychologically into the fours, and I believe that that will come, um, and and that's when people will make those decisions, right? We see a little bit more inventory in the market. Mm-hmm. We see builders being a little bit more open to some upgrades and some things like that, and I think that'll be the case, and I think that's what, what you'll see happen. And I don't, I mean, I don't even care if the interest rates, by the way, stay at five. So like, you know, like you mentioned, talking about the economics is one thing, but really the real life stuff, the interest rate doesn't matter yeah. sometimes when you can't get any sleep or, or the kids are that crazy. And there, there's a KCM chart. We can pop it up. Let, make a note, Bobby. I'd love to pop it up in the pod that you shared today about the, you know, the millennial generation. Oh, yeah. Where many of them, there's yeah. it's such a huge generation. Yeah. And many of them still haven't gone through the phase that I'm going through right now which is, because I'm like the grandpa of the millennials, <laughs> right. you know, I'm like right at the end, <laughs> the very last, or I guess the first one, yeah, yeah. Uh, right where they haven't had 
kids. Totally. Yeah. Right. That's a whole wave yet to come. And, you know, I I was giving the statistics when we talked about that. And that's why there's a bigger conversation. And that's that's directly tied to prices in this country, too, because you have so much demand coming from the millennial generation. And the stat that NAR gave us is 81% of first-time homebuyers, millennials, 43% of all transactions last year were millennials. And to your point, They've lived in these homes, they've seen appreciation, and now they're coming into a time where they have different needs. Yeah. Right? I mean, and that's that's huge. But Bobby, two maybe, well, a year, two years ago, Bobby's like, hey, I'm in a, an apartment, yeah. and I'm thinking about buying a house. But the urgency wasn't really strong, and then the prices started going crazy the last couple of years, so there was less urgency, and then now all of a sudden there's a baby <laughs> on the <laughs> way. We heard about that. And there's yeah. a lot more talk about I'm gonna need to buy a house soon. I'm yeah. gonna need to buy a house soon, and, and yeah. it's not buying more of the interest rates. Yeah, what right. are the, you know what's going on with a housing recession? It's I, I'm gonna need to yeah. buy a house soon. I, I think that point, Byron, is so so huge. I was I'm from Georgia, a little town in, in Georgia. I was just home a couple of weeks ago with my parents. My dad's 83 years old. They can't keep up the the place that they have. It's kind of getting a little bit too too much and a lot of land and stuff like that. They need to sell, right? Life events drive our business, not interest rates, mm. right? They're, they're, we're certainly going to see you know, things happen as interest rates dip and, and shoot up and all that. But life events drive the reason people buy homes. The life event happens, and then it's our job because, okay, life event happens, but here's what, what goes through somebody's mind. I've got to sell this house. Yeah, yeah. Do I keep it and rent it? Uh, yeah. Are prices going down? Do I need to sell it yesterday? Do, do I need to rush into a sale? Do I have time to fix up? Do I have three months to f- you know fix my property up? Because I know I have these you know these few issues that are glaring and are going right. to be glaring to a buyer, and I'd get more money. What do I do? Yeah, and that's where the agent needs to step in and really help them through that entire process and be the educator. Yeah, absolutely. And bring again another place for case studies, but that's going to be a personal decision based on the individual, right? Can you afford to keep that home and keep it as a rental? Is that a wise move? What's your next step? All those things that that play into that. Yeah. Being able to articulate this on video is just as important as articulating it at the dining room table. Yep. KCM's doing a good job of helping agents do that right now with with real talk. And and it's really an interesting product. And I want to, the reason I want to bring up on the pod is, you know, you certainly can try it. I encourage you to try it, but there's so many agents that are reaching out to myself and Eric and even Bobby, like, you know, everybody that's part of BAM. And it's sure. like, you know, well, well, how do you edit those, those, you know, little subtitles oh, and, yeah, and how yeah. are you doing a, yeah. a, a clip so fast? And, and how do you get so much content in real talk allows agents to be able to yeah. get a lot of video done quickly. And it's, a lot easier for them to do it because it's set up for them. So how, how's real talk totally. work? Totally, and you and I were talking about this before. I mean, one, one of the great things that uh, you and Bobby do is you get content out there quickly, right? Yeah. You're able to, to do that. That's with a whole production team. Totally, yeah, yeah, yeah. But, 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 but you're you know, really, really good at that. So you think about this, here's what real talk is. And, and the value in real talk is it's an app on your phone, you hold it up, you're, I always think, you know, I got the phone right here and we're gonna record a video. It's gonna give you the script of what to say. Some of these scripts that you were saying in this pod. Absolutely, yeah. Prices, inventory, all the things that we're talking about, give you the words to say, and then it's going to come along and it's going to put a graphic in there so you can point to, hey, here's what's happening out there. You hit done. You've got a finished video. It's about a minute long that you can post on social. You can email out there. You can put anywhere you want to. Which, by the way, it's about a minute long, so it's 
vertical. It's a minute yep. long. So it's touching on what's really relevant right now. Right. Getting content every day on IG reels, getting content every day on TikTok, And, but, oh, by the way, uh, Facebook reels, Gary V just said, that's the number one attention, like free organic attention that you can get right now is the yeah. Facebook reel. Again, vertical video, vertical, vertical video, sorry. Uh, 60 <laughs> seconds. Yeah. I, I think the one thing you said is doing that consistently, getting mm -hmm. that out on a consistent basis where you're recording those videos, you're getting better at it, you're doing that, and you've got the best information to be able to deliver. That's yeah. what real talk is. I like it be because it takes the, what, what Tom Ferry always talks about, the drunk monkey out of your right. head and allows right. you to just do, and it's not, oh, I mean, we've done a pod on equipment and, and there's a yeah, new yeah. book on equipment and all this kind of stuff that you can go out and get to like, figure out what equipment you should get, but it's, you, you already have it, by the way, it's, it's in your pocket. It's unreal. And the technology and, that's in an iPhone today is better than what, you know, we could go out and pay professionally for 10 years ago. Um, and so we, you have the technology, but the one thing that I, I see, and we've had a chance to talk to so many agents about this is the consistency and just doing it, just getting out there and doing it and yeah. delivering it. And by doing that, I, I don't know, you, you and Bobby could tell the story. I'll tell you my story for, you know, recording content is, the only way you get better at it at delivering that message is by doing it. Yeah. If there's another way, like somebody please tell me because I uh, that's how I had to learn is just and doing it. When I started in this business, I got really good on the phones. Yeah. And it was Tom Tool stuff. It how was do you, how do you do it? Yeah. Practicing scripts, <laughs> right? And so this gives you the ability to already know what you're going to say. Yeah. Have the editing done. You've got the phone, and you're just going to do it over and over again. And then from there. Yeah. You know, it's limitless. You the can best do a definition of that video. that I've ever heard uh, in scripting is knowing what you're you're going to say before you say it. Yeah, and that is the trick of being consistent. Is you know what you're say what you're going to say before you say it. And the scripting in real talk is mm -hmm. going to allow you actually to get maybe the best and most viral content mm -hmm. out of you. Here's why. Here's where I'm going with this. If I do a video on my app through KCM for real talk, right? And it's scripted and it's got the visual and it's got the editing done. What's going to happen now when you post it on TikTok or on Instagram is you're going to have some comments mm -hmm. and agents often say, but I don't know what to say. Yeah. Yeah. Well, now you have two or three comments asking you a question, asking you a follow-up question. Boom. And now that's your next video that is unscripted because it doesn't have to be scripted because right. you're reacting to the conversation happening in your comment section. You're taking the comment and you're either remixing the, like on TikTok, you can actually reply to comment and answer the question. I've seen right. you do this on the, on the yeah, KCM yeah. TikTok and that becomes your next video of the day. So if you're really feeling energized, the lighting's good, everything's good, you go post your second yeah. video and it's easier to do and you can just react to what's happening around the content that you're producing with real Right. I think that the, 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 what you're talking about is having that mindset, looking for times where we can then build content from, yeah. right? It's a comment, it's some a question somebody asked, it's somewhere where I was at, and somebody brought this up, I'm gonna record a video on it, you yeah. know, and thinking that way. That's what I love about that. Yeah. So there's a link down below if you wanna check that out. I would encourage everybody who's thinking about video or just getting access to the most relevant information that KCM's putting out. I love what you guys are doing. Absolutely. I'm fortunate enough to be able to chat with you often. And I learn something every single time. Just like, like when you broke down the, okay, housing affordability and affordability, two different things, yeah, right? Yeah. And so yeah. really appreciate you. We're David. grateful for, uh, for you and for, for all that you do to get great content out there. So thank you. Thanks. Appreciate it.